0: Thank you, Susan and Julie and Tracy. I want to frame uh, our thoughts this morning around the concept of the great interruption. And I specifically chose the passage of John chapter one verses 1 through 14 as the context for developing that uh, thought of the great interruption. 50 years ago yesterday, December 25th, 1971, Christmas Day, which was on a Saturday, I was stationed in the U.S. Army at Camp Mosier in South Korea as the company clerk of the only uh, medical ambulance company in the country, the 560th Ambulance Company attached to the 43rd MASH unit on the same compound. Now, the movie and the TV series of MASH were built upon the history of the 43rd and the 44th MASH units in the Korean War. And I can give witness to the fact that it was a true, the movie and the the TV series were a true representation of life with a MASH unit, believe it or not. And in my role as company clerk of the ambulance company on that base, I was uh, Mr. Radar Jr. <laughs> and uh, the clerk, the battalion clerk for the larger organization, the mass unit, was uh, Radar Sr. Okay. On that Christmas day, all personnel on the compound, including the doctors and the nurses, the ambulance drivers, the mechanics, the command and administrative personnel, we were all gathered and seated in the mess hall uh, for a wonderfully prepared Christmas uh, luncheon together. Uh, Jack and those of us who have been together in the military along the way, uh, the military pulls out all stops for Thanksgiving lunch and for Christmas lunch, usually no matter what your station is. So we were seated, ready to have our lunch. Following the blessing of our meal and table fellowship uh, by our chaplain, Major John Allen, whom I grew to love and appreciate during my tour there, an office clerk came in the mess hall and handed a written message to the Lieutenant Colonel, commanding officer of the base, who then moved to the podium and announced that we had orders from 8th Army Headquarters in Seoul to immediately and expeditiously mobilize and move to Seoul for what was an unfolding terrible disaster. The 22-story, 222-room luxury hotel, Taeyonggak which was completed just two years earlier in 1969, was totally engulfed in flames. Now, our base was located northeast of Seoul, halfway between Seoul and Camp Casey, which was up on the demilitarized zone. Uh, Bob Hope did one of his famous Christmas uh, uh, locations there at Camp Casey. And uh, we were about an hour's drive from Seoul. At the lieutenant colonel's command, we rose from our tables and charged to our assigned duties, arriving on scene about an hour and a half later at our designated station, which was just about five blocks and in full view of the hotel. So many people were unable to exit that hotel that day because of the darkness of smoke-filled hallways and rooms. And the city fire department had ladders that reached up to about the eighth floor of this 22-story building. For the most part, anybody on the ninth floor and above, they were in a bad situation. 38 people died leaping from windows to escape the inferno. Some clinging to mattresses, in an attempt to survive the fall, and I witnessed one of those. I still remember that today. Twelve or thirteen helicopters, including some of our medevac choppers, were hovering over the building with attempts to rescue guests with uh, slings from dangling ropes. One person fell from a sling uh, while being rescued by a helicopter. A total of 164 people died in that fire that day and scores were seriously injured in what is known as the worst hotel fire disaster in world history. You can check that out. It was followed only by the famous Weinkauf Hotel fire on December the 7th, 1946, about five weeks after I was born into this world. And incidentally, 119 people died in that fire that day, including four family members from Fitzgerald, Georgia. But back to Seoul. Late that afternoon, several components of our group were ordered to stand down and return to Camp Mosier. We arrived at the base just at nightfall on Christmas Day and were welcomed again to the mess hall to enjoy our Christmas luncheon, which changed to Christmas dinner. This experience is one of my most memorable interruptions in life. Fast forward to about 41 hours ago, David. <laughs> at the end of the Christmas Eve service, uh, David asked Glenn and me to join uh, several of the deacons uh, downstairs to uh, have some uh, discussions about whether we would have service today in light of the fact that uh, two of our uh, leading ministerial staff members would not be present today. Jennifer and Christopher were incapacitated due to illnesses that would prevent their presence. And um, so... Um, we decided that we would go forward with the service. And given that short notice, uh, it would prove extremely difficult to find someone to fill fill the pulpit. So the fingers were pointed at me, I guess, (laughs) to stand in the gap. And uh, for someone who does not have a file of uh, previous sermons as an emergency fallback, I anxiously agreed to help in this very real interruption, David. Every one of us here today could, count, could name countless numbers of interruptions in our respective lives, some of them monumental in scope, others just kind of the routine order of the day. Some interruptions include wonderful surprises, such as an anticipated phone call or a visit from an old friend or an announcement of the expectancy of a child or a grandchild. On the other hand, some interruptions may include shocking news of a diagnosed terminal illness or the death of a beloved family member or friend or the devastation of a disaster such as our friends have experienced in Kentucky in the last couple of weeks or COVID-19. Life has proven that interruptions will happen, usually unexpectedly. The word interruption is derived from two root words. First, the prefix enter, I-N-T-E-R, can mean between or among or during. The main root word, root, R-U-P-T, can mean to burst forth or Break out. Thus enter. We may combine those two word parts to suggest a bursting forth among us. This morning, I ask that we focus on what may be described as the greatest interruption. Now I acknowledge that I'm not the greatest student of world history. David Griffin, if you're listening on the radio this morning, you would know that. However, my lifelong journey leads me to believe that what happened in a primitive stable over 2,000 years ago was the single and most pivotal event in all of history. These verses from John 1, 1 through 14 instruct us of this glorious mystery, that is, that the Word of God, the Word is God, and with God in the beginning, at which time the triune God knows that at some point in time, the Word must interrupt history, becoming flesh, and live among us. This miraculous happening is the pivotal event in salvation history, in all of creation history, in all of human history, in all of infinity. Think about that word, in all of infinity. That is the unlimited extent of time and space and being. So, a fundamental question for us as humankind could be, why in the world did God take this initiative? The answer is recorded by John quoting the words of Jesus just two chapters later in John 3.16. And we all know that those words from memory. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son... As recipients of the undeserved and yet magnanimous gift of love, grace, and mercy, we understand that, to quote verses four and five of that first chapter, in Jesus, the Word made flesh, was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. One of my favorite theologians and writers is Richard Foster, who has dedicated much of his life and ministry to a focus on the spiritual disciplines necessary for all followers of Jesus. Richard poses a couple of challenging questions in his reflections on this passage of scripture. The first question he suggests is, what darknesses in our lives hide God's light? Think about that question. What darknesses in our lives hide God's light? And then a second question. How have we experienced the gift of light shining in our personal darknesses. I would suggest that we as followers of Jesus should allow in our current cultural environment that we should allow the light to shine in the darkness of the loud voices on social media and in secular culture who are polarizing people and driving wedges between people with poisonous hatred and vitriol, contrary, totally contrary to the two great commandments. And we know what those two great commandments are. I would further suggest that we actively engage in the transformational transformational activities uh, that are a part of the spiritual disciplines. First, consider and practice the inward spiritual disciplines of meditation, prayer, and the study of the life of Jesus in those first four Gospels. Secondly, that we consider and practice the outward disciplines, the spiritual disciplines of confession, submission, and service. And thirdly, that we consider and practice The corporate spiritual disciplines, which we're demonstrating here this morning, including confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. In these exercises and practices, the light will dawn upon us and interrupt the personal and cultural chaos of our lives, and we will never, ever be the same. Here again the words from verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Yes, another reminder of this glorious mystery that God should become human. God chose to burst forth and live among us. That Greek word in there for the word lived literally translates pitched his tent. God pitched his tent signifying his presence with us in our respective wildernesses this unspeakable action full of grace and truth fills us with hope peace joy and love so on this first sunday of christmas tide the beginning of the 12 days traditionally celebrated in the history of the church leading us to epiphany May the word dwell within our hearts and may the light of Christ shine through us. I close with these words from a favorite Christmas anthem entitled, That Night, penned by John Thompson and set to music by Ron Huff. That night, and all of heaven... There wasn't a sound as God and the angels watched the earth. For there, in a stable, the father's only son chose to give himself through human birth. And when the cry of a baby pierced the universe, once for all, we were shown our worth And the heavens exploded with music everywhere and the angels spilled over heaven's edge and filled the air. And the father rejoiced for he did not lose his son, but he gained to himself forever those who would come. This morning, if the cry of the babe of Bethlehem has pierced your heart, and you would respond to that calling and that interruption of the status quo in your life, we would welcome you into the community of faith to continue that journey with those of us who have already chosen to follow Jesus.